Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vitality Explorer podcast. My name is Dr. Alan Mishra. I'm an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. And this week, we're going to be talking about some things that I really know a fair amount about. That is muscle and tendon and disorders of those and why muscle really matters. But let's start out with a very cool quote from Thomas Edison. <laughs> I can't believe I love this quote. Quote, Great ideas originate in the muscles. Great ideas originate in the muscles. All right. So uh, I don't know how we can prove that or not prove that, but I think there's, an, there's, some, there's some data behind why that might actually be true scientifically. So on the Vitality Explorer podcast, our goal, our mission, as always, is to improve your physical, mental, social, and or spiritual well-being, and to enhance your overall vitality. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we adhere to two core principles on this, and that is, number one, vitality is a skill. And if it's a skill, I can help help teach you and me how to do certain things that will improve our vitality. And it's also a gift you give yourself by taking ownership over your decisions. So let's jump right into muscle. We're going to talk about tendon. And this is actually a special version of the podcast because what I'm going to do is sort of recapitulate the lecture I gave last weekend at the at a, at a large regenerative medicine meeting in Scottsdale uh, about tendonitis and biologic treatments for tendonitis. But I think I think it's better to start this week with muscle because muscle and tendons are connected. And this is a post that was up on the Vitality Explorer Substack site where you can see all the references. But this one was entitled Muscles and Myokines Matter and Why Resistance Training is Crucial to Your Vitality. So there's a little image you can see up there of myokines being released from muscle after contracting a biceps tendon. But let's slow down and, and, and say something that's critically important. Muscle matters to your vitality, period, full stop. Now, we've talked about this before on Vitality Explorers, but it's absolutely worth repeating. Intuitively, we know that muscle matters to our well-being. And muscle's primary function is to work through our tendons to contract our joints. Now, this results in movement of our arms, our fingers, our legs, and our bodies. But what staggers me what staggers me still to this very minute that this is being recorded is how few physicians understand that muscle also functions like an endocrine organ. And an endocrine organ is something like your pancreas that spits out insulin or your thyroid that releases thyroid-related hormones. But what, what was amazing to me is how few people, and especially how few healthcare professionals, understand that resistance training, obviously contracting your muscles, that could be lifting weights, using rubber bands, riding an exercise bike, does result in changes in your muscle, but it also results in hum humoral, meaning like things that are coming out of the muscle and immune responses. And myokines are the powerful muscle, or excuse me, powerful molecules released by our muscles when they contract. And that's spelled M-Y-O-K-I-N-E-S. And these molecules, this is a quote from a paper, have, quote, a high potency for retaining or regaining health. Myokines, myokines also have positive effects on our metabolic, cardiovascular, mental, and immunological processes. And that's according to this article called Myokines and Resistance Training, a Narrative Review. Again, you can see the references to this on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. I've also put up a, a short 30-second video uh, explaining sort of how, how and why myokines are important. 
So you can see that up there. But when we contract our muscles, there's different ways we can do that. We can do it sort of under a high load, low repetition resistance training, and that can lead to protein synthesis within the muscles. Uh, this enhances our muscle growth, also known as hypertrophy, or it can be low load, high repetition. All right, so that would be, so our high load, low repetition would be sort of what is your, you know, how many things can you do one, two, or three reps of versus the other way around? How many can you do low load, lower, lower weight, lower load, but high repetition, say 10, 12, or 15 reps? Now, when you do that low load, high rep, that improves your myo, I'm going to say some big words here, myochondrial, or excuse me, mitochondrial biogenesis. And remember from like eighth or ninth grade biology, your mitochondria are the little powerhouses of your cells. So one can lead to, one, that high load, low repetition can lead to enhancement or improvement in the size of your muscle, muscle hypertrophy. But what's, what's forgotten is the low load, high rep uh, can improve the mitochondria or the powerhouse. So I think there's value in doing both of those. And what's not perfectly figured out yet is, you know, which one of those are optimal for the release of myokines. And one myokine I'd like to sort of highlight, and we've talked briefly about this in the past, but that's BDNF, that's brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And I think that's probably the most important myokine release from your muscle. And it gets back to that quote uh, from, from Edison about ideas coming from our muscle. But BDNF is really important because it, it, it strengthens the neuromuscular junctions and can also enhance muscle regeneration. And there's some, some, some uh, data about this and there's some graphics about this up on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. But I think, I think if, we, if we cut to the analysis and recommendations, again, don't start any exercise routine without consulting with your own personal physician. But there is massive scientific data confirming the value of muscle for our longevity and vitality. And it's also important for us to understand that our muscles are modifiable until the day we die. That means we can improve or enhance them with resistive exercises. That doesn't matter whether you're eight or all the way to 98, all right? Um, and here's the action suggestion. And again, check with your doctors to make sure this is okay, but begin today to lift some weights or do some resistance training. Now here's some options. You can just do a biceps curl. All right, and that biceps curl is just you know bending your elbow and bringing your hand towards your face. Pull, take a five pound weight, take a three pound weight, take a one pound weight, whatever it is, pull that towards your, your, your hand towards your shoulder and then slowly let it back down. That's called a biceps curl. Second is rotator cuff exercises with elastic rubber bands. That's sort of rotating your shoulder out to the side and going back and forth slowly. And don't forget that an exercise bike is really a form of resistance training. And it can absolutely help build your leg muscles. I use that all the time for my patients who have knee osteoarthritis, back pain, lower, lower, or excuse me, hip pain. Riding a bike is a really, really valuable uh, tool to help maintain your lower extremity strength and flexibility. In fact, I, I joke sometimes in saying that the exercise bike is, is really the fountain of youth. So when you think about this idea of muscles and how, why they matter, <clears throat> and why resistance training is crucial to our vitality. I encourage you to look at the Vitality Explorer Substack site for more details of this. We are going to lean really, really deeply into muscle this year on Vitality Explorers because it can also help with your cognition as we've talked about in the past. There's another post that I put up last year called Muscle Smashes Cancer. It's just all, all over the place about how the value of muscle is for our vitality. So we're going we're gonna to shift now and we're going to talk about a 20th, 
first century approach to tendinopathy or sort of how to biohack your tendons. And the reason why I wanted to do these together is remember a muscle, excuse me, a tendon is just a connection between a muscle and, and bone or, or, you know, functions to help move your, your joint. All right. And they, but they can go wrong. And we sometimes forget uh, when, you know, about our tendons until they start to bother you. And this lecture that I'm about to do in an audio form is something that I gave this past weekend at a, at a regenerative medicine meeting called the IOF Max Experience in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can actually see a full video of this for the paid subscribers on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. But sort of the subtitle of my talk and is Lessons Learned from 25 Years of Treating Tennis Elbow. Didn't really want to admit that, but that's kind of true. So we started this off with a case study, and here's the case study. It's a 50-plus-year-old male, 20-plus years of manual labor, increasing data entry, and it had four months of pain in the outside part of the elbow after uh, adding in more weights, but no acute injury. And what you're going to learn here, and I'm going to try to give the lay version of this, but it's based on a book chapter that I wrote for a, a book published by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery called Orthobiologics. And the book chapter was called Tendon Management, Protection and Repair. And this is something I have been passionate about for my entire career. I published a lot of articles and book chapters on it, um, but, it's, but tendon related issues uh, or tendinopathy, which includes things like acute tendonitis that can occur uh, after say running up in the hills and a tendon tear that can occur if you uh, snap your Achilles tendon or if you fall on an outstretched hand skiing, you can tear your rotator cuff. But it's a very, very common problem. There's variable pain and variable limb dysfunction. But what's unfortunate is that there's been a rising prevalence uh, in the 21st century. Okay, So since the beginning of, of uh, the, this century, we've had increasing uh, problems with tendons that are are associated with a variety of different joints, and that includes your rotator cuff, which is your shoulder, your epicondylar tendons, it's your elbow, uh, your gluteal tendons, which are at your hip, your patellar tendon, which is at your knee, and your Achilles tendon, which is obviously way down at your ankle. But there's a lot of different factors that contribute to the development of tendon-related problems and pain. One of them is just what we call macro or micro trauma. That's where tendon and there's a tendon muscle overload that leads to inflammation and degeneration. You can have a vascular component to the tendon problem where, where you have poor blood supply and poor, poor healing response. Interestingly, there's also a neurogenic component to that where there's an imbalance of the parasympathetic and sympathetic signaling. That's where, there's a sort of systems within your nervous system. But I think the things we're going to talk about most today are the cellular dysfunction and the metabolic dysfunction. All right. So around our cells are something called the extracellular matrix, and there can be problems associated with this and problems with our mitochondria. Remember, we talked a little bit about our mitochondria in terms of weightlifting. Well, part of the reason why tendons don't work is there can be problems with our mitochondria or the little powerhouses. Another thing that is not at all recognized, I'm going to say, say that again, it's almost not at all. Um, but if you are on a statin, and there are millions upon millions of people taking a statin, you have a significant uh, increased risk for developing tendinopathy. Um, I see, I, again, I see this all the time, every single week. And now I have to make sure I, I test or check with every patient to make sure that they're, you know, if I understand that we're on a statin, because it's under, in my opinion, it's under-recognized by primary care doctors that statins cause musculoskeletal pain. 
and I should say the statins are associated with musculoskeletal pain. Um, and interestingly, there's some data about why that happens. Uh, when you're on a statin, it can increase the release of, of certain things that can, can result in higher levels of inflammation in and around tendons. But the other thing that's, you know, m- you know massively, pun intended, associated with tendon-related pain is obesity. And there's mechanisms by which this occurs, including the release of, of certain things within uh, adipose or fat tissue that re- results in, in systemic inflammation, so all over your body. And this can drive both the onset and progression of tendinopathy. Let me say that again. Obesity can drive the onset and progression of tendon-related problems. <clears throat> so statins, high cholesterol for people who are high cholesterol or obesity, are, are known, published, peer-reviewed risk factors for, for tendinopathy that might be modifiable. The other thing that's interesting is, it, is tendinopathy can be connected to our gut. So the microbiome are all the bacteria and microorganisms that live inside our GI tracts. And if there's an imbalance of that microbiome, that can lead again back to this idea of systemic inflammation. And that can drive tendon-related pain, can also drive, drive pain in your other parts of your joints. So when you think about tendinopathy or tendon-related pain, you don't think of things like statins or obesity or your microbiome. But guess what? Based on the data that I, I, I talked about at this meeting this past weekend, it is clear that all three of those should be something we should be engaging with. Now, when we, when we flip it around and we talk about the history and physical exam associated with tendinopathy or tendon-related pain, it is almost always associated with muscle tightness around the, the affected joint. There can be pain when you just touch or pinch a tendon and pain when you try to move that limb. Um, when you talk about how to diagnose it, uh, it, you know this is really emerging right now, but if you've had it for a long time, people will, will take an x-ray uh, to rule out some things like calcium that can be deposited in and around joints or arthritis, which can be common uh, and, and, and occur in conjunction with tendon-related pain. But what's fascinating to me and what's super fun also is that ultrasound has become an excellent tool to evaluate tendinopathy. And it's very cost-effective compared to MRI. There's no radiation. Um, And now I'm teaching the Stanford Sports Orthopedic Sports Medicine fellows um, about how to use this in practices and to follow patients who've had biologic treatments. But I presented some of this data that I have collected over many, many years about how you can use ultrasound for both diagnosis and following of patients after they've had an injury to a tendon and then a biologic treatment such as PRP. And it's absolutely and incredibly valuable. Uh, an emerging thing, again, this is a sort of a high-end lecture that I gave at the at a regenerative medicine uh, meeting, but what I'm doing is going through my slides right now and, and giving this lecture in the context more of somebody who wouldn't be a doctor. But um, one of the things that's kind of fascinating to me is that PET scans, which are typically used for patients who have cancer and to follow that are now being evaluated to treat, or excuse me, to help diagnose chronic musculoskeletal pain. And there's an image, I think, uh, that's fascinating to me of a PET scan of a patient who has tennis elbow. And yes, there's an increased signal within the area right at the elbow, but there's also increased signal within the entire forearm, which is consistent again with that thought of muscle tightness is associated with tendon-related pain. Okay, so when I, when I go through these slides, I came back to this, what would you do with this 50 plus year old patient who's had 
20 years of manual labor, increasing data entry, and four months of pain. <laughs> and this, well, to sort of cut to the chase, that's ac it was actually me who has this, and I developed this last year, late last year. Uh, and it was very fascinating to develop something as a patient that you treat all the time as a doctor. So then I said, okay, what is the optimal way to treat tennis elbow or tendonitis of my um, arm and forearm? And here's kind of what I, I typically do is I use a wrist splint, which kind of sounds kind of weird, but you use a wrist splint to immobilize the wrist to, to take some of the tension off the forearm. You can also use topical anti-inflammatory medications. Uh, you can use oral anti-inflammatory medications. But one of the things I found most useful was, was like a Thuragun, like these um, pulsating handheld massage guns. I found that very valuable for my, my tightness in my forearm. Um, you can also do strengthening exercises where you try to work on the improvement of the strength. Uh, and it's, it's important to understand that exercise is a biologic treatment. So sometimes people come in and go, oh, I want an injection or I want surgery. But I try to convince people that uh, exercise is a very powerful way. And remember, when you're doing that eccentric loading or those strengthening exercises of your forearm, you're not just improving your muscle, you're releasing those myokines that we talked about in our first thing uh, on this week's Vitality Explorer uh, podcast. So what, what's happening is you're modulating the local environment by what's coming out of the muscle. You're decreasing the tightness by using these a variety of different tools to decrease that um, area. And that improves the overall function of not just the tendon, but the muscle and tendon, which are connected together to help move the joint. All right, the, the final thing that I, I talked about was in terms of non-operative treatment was the use of extracorporeal shockwave, which is a very, very interesting thing that I have uh, used in my practice uh, for patients with chronic tendinopathy uh, and can be quite helpful. Um, one of the things I totally recommend against is cortisone. And I do not think that cortisone is at all a good treatment for chronic tennis elbow or tendonitis in general. It rarely provides long-term relief. And there are much better treatment options such as PRP. Um, and we talked a lot about that during the, the case or during the, during the course that I was uh, lecturing at. And I did present also some data about how a single cortisone injection can result in skin discoloration and, and dermal atrophy. All right. Um, the second the second case we talked about was a patient who has an avid golfer, 18 months of pain, up to 8 out of 10 pain, who had an ultrasound, which was con consistent with um, a partial tear of the tendon. Uh, so much worse than, than my case. And talked about what, what we would do. I also talked about whether, you know, what's the data for PRP? And I asked ChatGTP and uh, ChatGTP said that it was uh, mixed results. Um, and then reviewed the literature, the absolute up-to-date literature about whether the treatment of PRP or tendinopathy and, uh, and looked at a variety of different articles from all over the world. And interestingly, uh, you know, there's, there's published peer-reviewed data from the United States, England, India, South Korea, Brazil, France, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Australia, Egypt, Italy, and Spain, literally all over the place. Uh, looking into whether biologic treatments such as PRP or platelet-rich plasma is helpful. Uh, this, this goes all the way back to a paper that I, I wrote back in 2006 that showed that PRP could be a, effective uh, in the treatment of chronic tennis elbow. Uh, that has actually turned into the number one most cited elbow surgery article since the turn of the century, 2000, and the number five most cited article of all time. That led to a prospective randomized trial of 230 patients that showed that PRP 
uh, was significantly more effective than just something called dry needling of the elbow. And, and this is actually what I quote to my patients who have chronic tendon pain at the elbow, that you have an 82% chance of getting better versus a 60% chance of getting better using the active control. Now, that's that's published in the American Journal of Sports Medicine. That's based on a prospective randomized trial, uh, which means that even PRP is not always effective for this, um, but it's better uh, than and, uh, in cortisone for sure. Similar findings have been found in gluteal tendinopathy, but when you take a look at all of the data and you put it all together for tendon-related issues, um, PRP for tennis elbow has the best data. I think the second is for hip tendinitis or gluteal tendinopathy. And then things like patellar tendinopathy or rotator cuff tendinopathy, way less evidence uh, to supporting it. And for Achilles tendinopathy, not much really at all. So this has led to review articles in 2024 to say that there's you know, a paucity of evidence high quality evidence uh, to use PRP for all types of tendinopathy and that some of the evidence is inconclusive. And that led led to the final discussion of of the talk about um, tendinopathy or tendon-related pain. And that is in patients such as the one in the example that we talked about, you know, who really wanted to get back, didn't want to have multiple procedures, is to, to augment tennis elbow surgery where you actually make incision on the elbow, you remove the degenerated portion of the tendon, but to augment that surgery with PRP. And then we went over the details of how to do that, uh, and then the results and the final results in this patient 14 months after surgery went from eight out of 10 pain and unable to play golf to zero out of 10 pain and playing golf four times per week. All right, so this this is sort of a synopsis of the lecture that I gave at the IOF Max meeting uh, last weekend in Scottsdale. Um, I present it and what we're committed to do on here on Vitality Explorers, and I'm going to be doing more and more of this in 2024, is bringing the absolute latest up-to-date information. So listeners to this podcast right now have the same up-to-date information as the 250 doctors who attended this meeting last weekend, okay? Uh, This next week, I'm going to be um, going to a longevity meeting. I'm going to be going to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery meeting in San Francisco, and I'm going to try to bring some of some of what I learn back to this podcast next week. <laughs> One of these days, I might even do something live uh, and answer some questions. But our, our goal continues to be to try to provide everybody with the latest information about your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. This week in particular, this is stuff that I know very well. This is what I see in my practice all the time, muscle and tendon-related injuries. So it's been delightful to share some of what I do on my research side, in addition to some of the other things we've been talking about for the last few years on Vitality Explorers. I hope you've enjoyed it. You can leave comments below uh, and please share this widely with anybody who's got muscle or tendon related issues. Remember that quote from Thomas Edison about, quote, great ideas originate in the muscles. <laughs> I got to put that, maybe I put that up in my office somewhere because that is so interesting to me because your muscles actually, again, release things when you contract them that help your brain. So maybe it is true that when you when you go to the gym, you can actually become smarter. Uh, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this week's Vitality Explorer podcast. Um, please share this uh, widely. Also, uh, check out our Vitality Explorer Substack site for all the references to what we talked about, including a video of the entire uh, lecture that I gave uh, last weekend. And until next time, get out there and dare to be vital.
Thank you very much for listening.